the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sadly, for most, when it comes to Christianity, well, laboring and striving for the faith, that's something the pastor is to do. In fact, we pay him to do that, right? Our job is to sit in the pew and enjoy what's going on for an hour a week, and that's about it. Well, as we'll find out today, nothing could be further from the truth. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. And on behalf of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We are back in 1 Timothy chapter 4 today, looking at verses 10 through 16, in a message that Pastor Gary has appropriately entitled, Laboring and Striving for the Faith. We tend to think of that term or that statement, that sentence, and apply it to pastors. And in fact, we're actually reading a pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy. So what's that got to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. It has an awful lot to do with you. Join us today and find out how. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's Abounding Grace. It's called Laboring and Striving for the Faith, but this sermon is really about the work of a pastor but also understand in a roundabout way, it is a sermon to you as well. As I pointed out before, the book of Timothy is the words of an old apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't live long after writing 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. In fact, he is soon martyred. But here the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is teaching the young minister, Timothy, how to plan and organize a church in Ephesus. And since it is the word of God through Paul, it is the word of God to the church in every age. So these things are not only true with reference to Timothy, they're true in the way the church lives and organizes and plans itself throughout the history of the world. Remember now what Paul has been doing. He's been telling Timothy how to regulate a worship service, what to do and what not to do. He's been telling Timothy how to organize a church in terms of its leaders. He's been warning Timothy about false doctrine and how to preserve the church from that false doctrine with the words of the faith. And now in this part of chapter 4, he's getting around to the preacher. He says, I've told you about the church. I've told you about the worship service. I've told you about elders and deacons. Now here is how the minister of the church is to act and live and to preach. I want you to know It is difficult for preachers to preach 
on this text. Because it's really like holding up to myself a magnifying glass. And you will most certainly judge me in terms of this passage of scripture. Beloved, you can't help but do it. Most of you have known me long enough to know my sins and my failures, my weaknesses and my inconsistencies. And trust me, I'm thinking about those things. And I'm thinking about you thinking about them as I preach through this passage. And you are most likely going to see my clay feet. But I'm hoping you'll try to forget about that as we look at this great passage of Scripture. And bear in mind, beloved, it is a standard for all preachers and all ministers. But the standard by which a minister is to live is not higher than the standard by which you are to live. We are all to live by the word of God. Preachers just have to be more visible in the way they meet these demands. So let's look at this passage and notice how it starts. It says, Timothy, we labor and strive in the things we are doing. The life of a minister is not an easy life. If it is, he's simply not being a faithful minister. I know some ministers who have all sorts of hobbies. And they spend way, much, way too much time involved in those hobbies. Some are members of country clubs. Not that that's bad. But they spend several hours a week on a golf course. That is not the life of a faithful minister of God. A faithful minister of God is going to work hard. There are some times when he's going to have to forego time with his wife and his children in order to spend time with you and praying for you. Or spending hours and hours in concentration and thought and reading, preparing sermons and Bible studies, or in counseling over the phone or in person. So if a man is going to be faithful, be a faithful minister of God, he has got to be someone who is not afraid of hard work. He knows what labor is when it comes to the ministry, and he'll find rest when he passes on. But also, the faithful minister of God is going to strive. Can you think of a synonym for strive? Try fight. Also suffer for what is right. So Paul is saying to young Timothy, you must not only work hard in planning this church in Ephesus, but you're going to have to fight false doctrine inside and outside the church. You're going to have to fight a culture. You're going to have to kind of act like a gladiator. You'll need to carry your sword. And in the meanwhile, you are going to get injured and cut. People are going to hurt you or even threaten your life. But that's all part of it. There will be verbal abuse and confrontations. But a minister of the gospel is someone who's not afraid of hard work. And he cannot be afraid of the backstabbing and standing firm on the battlefield. Why? Verse 10. For this labor and strife 
for this labor and strife because we have fixed our hope on the living God. We must not go into the battle. We must not work hard with any kind of defeated pessimistic spirit thinking this is, isn't going to account for anything like our premillennial brothers. Our God is not like the gods that the Greeks and the Romans and other pagans worship. They are dead, useless idols. Our God is the living God. Our God is the source of life. Our God is the life giver. Our God is the life protector. And he has made promises to us. He has promised us that he would use the faithful preaching of the word of God to bring countless people to saving faith in Jesus Christ and to build his kingdom. So Paul is telling Timothy, don't worry about the hard work. Don't worry when people hurt you or speak evil of you for my sake, because our hope is fixed on the living God. And we are confident that as God has been faithful to faithful preaching in the past, he's going to be faithful today and he is going to be faithful in the future. And everything you do and everything you're suffering is to count for something in the advance of God's kingdom, Timothy. Then Paul says something about God that is one of the most difficult things in the New Testament to understand correctly. He says, we are going to labor, we are going to strive in the presentation of the gospel because our hope is solidly fixed on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. You say, but I thought we believed in election. I thought we believed that God is only the Savior of the elect. And yet here it says that God is the Savior of all men. Especially those who believe. Now that word especially is very important. Because it's saying in some lesser sense. God is the savior of everyone. But in an ultimate final glorious sense. An eternal sense. He is the savior only of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is some sense in which God is the savior of all men. But saving from hell, only those who believe in him. Now, you see some com commentators say, well, what that means is that God wants everyone to be saved. But the poor guy, he, he, he just can't get the job done. So he's just going to save those who are able to believe. But it doesn't say God wants to be the Savior of all men. It says God is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. So what in the world does he mean? Well, think in terms of providence. The word Savior in the Greek Old Testament can mean someone who preserves, someone who delivers from tyranny or slavery. And not only do you see that in the early chapters of the Bible, you see it in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms speaks often of God's goodness and kindness to everyone. 
And Jesus talks about it at least two places in the New Testament. In one place, he says, God causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. And that God is kind to evil and wicked men. So there is a sense in which every single human being on this earth is preserved in his life by the goodness and the kindness of God. He is preserved from men's depravity, from being utterly depraved and causing the earth to be a living hell. He preserves us. He provides food just like the animals and the birds for us. But fallen mankind and all of his corruption doesn't deserve to be preserved. His life does not deserve to be protected. He does not deserve to be provided for by the living God. He does not deserve for God to do anything kind for him whatsoever. But God does. And that is the way our great God is. In some sense, all people benefit from the kindness and the goodness of God but especially those who believe. And beloved, if God is good and kind to people who spit in his face, how kind is he going to be to those who bow down before Jesus Christ? That is what Paul is getting at. That if God is good and kind and generous to everyone, even in their rebellion against him, what does that say about God's kindness to those who trust In Jesus Christ, they receive a salvation from God that is far superior to anything the unbeliever ever experiences or could even think of because it is an, an eternal salvation. It is a total salvation. And Paul is saying, we work hard, we strive, we fight. Yes, we're shot in the back. But we don't complain because our hope rests in the living God, not in dead idols. He is the living God who is good to everyone and who does, in fact, save everyone and anyone that believes in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I don't know about you, but that greatly encourages me. When I go out into the world and I talk to people who hate Christ and they grit their teeth, I still know that Christ is in the business of saving sinners from their sin, just like these haters. God saves anyone who is willing to trust Christ for salvation. Homosexuality is presented in Scripture as the burning out of man. Yet, Lord, we know You can even save these people. So we rejoice and we work hard and we strive for we are involved in the fight for our culture because we are absolutely confident that God is able to have mercy on anyone who believes in him at any time. If he is good to everyone. If he is good to those people out there in the world who despise him, how kind is he going to be when, by his grace, he gives them the gift of life? So Paul says to Timothy, as you carry out your ministry in the Roman Empire, which endorses homosexuality and perversion and prostitution, idolatry, 
humanistic philosophy and all the rest. Don't get discouraged. God even saved Romans. God saves the worst of sinners, my friends. Then he says in verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. He says it again in chapter 5 and then two times in chapter 6. Prescribe and teach these things, Timothy. I'm not just telling you these things for your benefit, but in this little church you're planning, make sure they understand these things as well. Make sure they understand everything that I've been teaching you in the last three and a half chapters. Make sure they understand that discipline in godliness is a benefit in this life as well as the next. Make sure they understand the difference between truth and error. Make sure they understand that our God is the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Make sure they understand these things, Timothy. Don't keep them ignorant. Don't just give them pablum on Sunday. You know, there's an interesting verse in the book of Hebrews where Paul, who I believe wrote the book, said, You can't yet digest meat. You're not disciplined. Many of you are backslidden. You're apathetic. But you need meat. Yet, all you can take is milk. But here is some meat. Now that's very important. Paul says, all you can digest is pablum, but I'm not going to give you pablum. I'm going to give you nutritional, spiritual food. Because you aren't going to understand it or digest it in any way. Unless first, the Holy Spirit opens your heart to receive it and to consume it anyway. So that is what Paul is saying here. You know, if you go to an average big church anywhere around here, you will hear the preacher preach some little simplistic sermonette. And I'm not talking about all of them, please understand, but many of them by a preacherette for Christianettes that last maybe 20 minutes. He changes the text every Sunday And he changes his illustrations, but it is basically the same thing, and it's on the ABCs, and his answer to all of this is, well, that's all my congregation can really stand. That's all they can take. Well, what he is really saying is, that's all I'm going to give them. Because if I raise their understanding of biblical truths, then I will need to spend more time And study harder Monday through Saturday. And my sermons will have to have more substance to them. And you know what? I've just got too many other things to spend my time on than that kind of study in the Word of God. So Paul is saying to Timothy, prescribe and teach these things. They are new Christians. They've been saved right out of an ungodly culture. It is a small church, so teach and discipline them in the whole counsel of God. Don't let these people be babies forever. Oh, they start out as babies, but begin right away at bringing them to maturity by teaching them everything that God has revealed in Scripture. Hold nothing back. Now, Timothy's fairly young. 
It's estimated that he was about 35 at this time. But of course, he's much younger than Paul. So Paul says to him in verse 12, Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Oh, they'll say you are so young. But Timothy, don't act like it. Don't act immature. Don't act irresponsible. Don't be flighty. Act as mature as a mature, responsible Christian man so that no one will be able to criticize you because you are so young. And let me tell you, there are a lot of young preachers that I'd like to say that to out there. Timothy, your countenance, the way you dress, the way you express yourself, your personality, don't act like a child. You're 35 years old. Don't lack like a teenager. Be a mature man so that there will be nothing in you that people can use to not believe and embrace your preaching. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Show them what a true believer looks like. Don't just tell them what to believe and how to act, but show them by your life what a real believer in Jesus looks like. Make sure your doctrine is sound and make sure your life is holy. Paul says, in these ways, be an example of what it means to be a Christian man or woman. In your speech, the way you talk, the content of your conversations, in the slang you use or don't use, in your conduct, in your everyday walk, so that when people observe you, they'll say he is different than the average guy. In your love for other people, be willing to give of yourself and of your time for the benefit of other people. In your faith, in what you believe, in the way you face life, and in purity, moral purity, so that people know they can trust you. There was very little purity to no purity in the Roman Empire. If I were to describe to you the nature of life in the Roman Empire, it would embarrass you and me both. It was full of sexual perversion in every form you can imagine. So Paul says, Timothy, live a pure life. Be known for moral purity and chastity. Be an example of what it means to be a Christian. Oh, you're never going to be perfect. But of course, no Christian is. Then Paul starts to give specific instructions to Timothy as a minister in the church. And he says in verse 13, until I come... Give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Now, notice the word public is in italics as well as Scripture, which means those words are not actually there in the Greek. But understand, there are times when it is proper to add words to make the Greek sentence more meaningful. And that's what he's getting at here. Paul is saying to Timothy... I want you to pay close attention to the public reading of Scripture. When you're preaching and reading in the worship service, 
I want you to be very careful as how you read God's word. You know, you can actually tell a lot about a pastor before he even gets around to preaching in the way that he reads the Bible. Does he read it in a monotone? Does he read it in a totally detached way as if he's reading just some passage from any other book? Or can you detect a real involvement and engagement in his own life with the practical text he's reading. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.